Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you today from Hot Springs, Arkansas, not actually the the office. Uh, got a lot of stuff going on here at the Bug Out location today, so I am recording from the Bug Out location, but today is the first official show from Hot Springs, Arkansas. I can't say there'll never be another Arlington, Texas show. Probably be a week worth of them next week, but that will probably be the last of them, and the rest of them this week, and the rest of them after that will be coming to you from here, unless we do them remote when we're on the road visiting folks or something like that. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about very timely subject today. I'm going to talk about the case for bugging out early. The case for bugging out now. The, the case for saying the hell with it. Um, I've had a lot of people asking me if I refer to my place up here as the bug out location uh, after we've moved here. You know, saying, well, it's no longer the bug out location. Right now it's the homestead. And I don't know that I completely agree with that. I don't completely disagree with that. I understand the logic behind it. Um, but the reality is, you know, we think of bugging out and we think of, well, what if something really goes wrong? What if the world crisis comes or, you know, from a financial crisis? And we're going to talk about that today, too. Or uh, we have food crises that just seem to be, you know, hinging. Uh, you know, the, the World Bank has said we are one event, one event from a world disaster in the food supply system. That's the World Bank. That's that's not you know uh, you know Alex Jones or me or someone like that. That's the World Bank saying that they came out with that like two days ago and said, hey, you know, one big event, the whole world is in a food crisis, a global food and economic crisis. So we do talk about bugging out and pertain you know pertaining to things like that. But if you look at what we've done, we decided to hell with it, and we made it work in our way, and we've kind of bugged out of normal society to, to a degree. I mean, but there's people living all around us, and this is just another way of living. And I want to talk to you today about, you know, thinking about that. Call it an early retirement. Call it downsizing. Call it living more e ecologically friendly. Call it whatever you want. But today I'm going to call it bugging out early. Uh, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Make sure the show is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. And today's sponsor of the day, number one, is MERSRadio.com. I love MERS Radio because it allows me to know what's going on around my house and have secondary communications. So I have these motion detectors. So like when the fellas pulled up today to help me uh, with the deck that we're going to be doing today outside of the house, when I when they pulled in the driveway, I heard alert sector one, and I knew someone was here. Now, I've got other ways that people could get into the property up here now, and I've got my MERS detector set up, and I've got my MERS radios. So I can be on another part of the property and have communication back here with Dorothy Or if someone comes around at night or God knows when, we'll know they're there. That is a really unique feature to MERS Radio. So check out MERS-Radio.com today. Remember, the best way to find them and all of our sponsors, go through the banners on the right-hand margin of the survivalpodcast.com. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal. I call Safe Castle the original Survival Podcast sponsor because they were the first Survival Podcast sponsor. They've been with us since I was willing to take a sponsor. They immediately did something that's amazing. Vic over there made their uh, Discount Buyers Club 
club available to members of the member support brigade. If you're an MSB member and you haven't claimed yours yet, you should. And you should shop on their site. And even if you're not MSB, you should shop on their site. And consider that discount buyers club. At 29 bucks, you get discounts on everything on their site for the rest of your life. Of course, if you're in the MSB, you can get that for free. Um, I also want to let you know I was running a special on the Member Support Brigade. Uh, I said that it ended yesterday. For some people, had some hiccups, so I left the code active. I'm not doing manual extensions anymore. That has expired unless you've communicated with me and there was some kind of a hiccup. But if you want to join as a new member with PayPal or renew, renew your expired subscription by logging in, you can use the discount code MOVING for one more day and get that first year for 30 bucks. Last, I want to remind you guys to connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And I wanted to tell you something really cool about YouTube, uh, for those of you who have been subscribers for a while, that I don't think a lot of you are aware of. A while ago, YouTube made a change where when you subscribe to somebody's YouTube channel, uh, you could take a little box and then every time they, they uploaded a video, you would get an email. But all of your existing subscriptions, even if you had it set up where it was working that way, it turned it off. So if you'd like to get an email every time we upload a video to our channel or any of the other channels on YouTube you're subscribed to, go to our channel or go to the other channel and you'll see a little thing that says subscribe down where it has the user information on the left-hand side a little bit down the page under the main viewing page of the channel or the main viewing area of the channel, and you'll see where it says subscribed, or say subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet. There'll be a little drop-down arrow. Click that, and you can tick a little box, and every time we upload a video, you'll get an email about it. Now, I usually post them on the blog and all, but that's just another way to stay in touch with us and know when we publish new videos. And with living at the bug-out location slash homestead, there's going to be a lot of video coming in the next couple months. All right, so... Again, what I promised to do today is talk to you about bugging out early and what I mean, you know, kind of mean by that. Well, I got the idea to do this show yesterday, and I guess I should have thought about doing it a long time ago because it's what we finally really accomplished now. We're, we got a little bit of stuff we're dinking around with at the house. We got guys coming in to put carpet in, and we're in, interviewing a couple of real estate agents now, but it's pretty much a done deal now. And uh, so we've, we've, we're living the dream in the truest sense of the world, word, not what you say sarcastically when you're doing your job, but seriously living the dream, at least our dream, our dream that we developed together. And uh, But as I was on my way up here, yesterday was a gray day, and I mean just gray skies. It was, there was no sun out yesterday. It was dreary and nasty the whole way up here. And I've got a truckload of stuff again, and I've got my, my, my larger snakes with me, and their cages in the back, and I'm got a desk that I just invested a lot of money in to buy that I have to assemble. I bought it at Ikea, so that's going to be a nightmare putting it together, but it's a really nice desk. Uh, same model my buddy Brian from ITS got, so I'm stressed about whether it's going to rain or not. And the traffic was absolutely ridiculous, even out in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking East Texas, uh, you know, 75 miles uh, west of Texarkana, where there's generally nothing, nobody, one trucker and me. There were, there were ass clowns everywhere on the road. And they were all the way up to here. When I got on Highway 7, there were ass clowns everywhere. And it took me back to over a year ago before I started doing the show full-time. And I was driving to Frisco every day. And I remembered how bad it really was. And I thought about how how doing this show, in a lot of ways, I think, saved my life cardiovascularly. I think I was on the verge of a heart attack before 40, uh, like happened to my, my buddy Hal, had I not found something that really gave my life new purpose. And, that, and that's what the show was. And I started thinking about how much different my life is going to be when, when I do go into the office, you know, however many days a week I need to cut the shows and all. Um, but it's only an 11 mile drive and it's on a little country road and there's nobody really in the way and I have no stress over when I get there or when I get back. And 
I started thinking about all the stress that we live under in our daily lives and, and how so much of that now is going to be gone from us. And I started thinking about some of the stories I've heard from everyone out there that's that's done the same thing in their own way. Some people like uh, Kathy and Ed, who um, you know I mentioned on a show recently about building your dreams. Um, you know, they didn't really bug out. They just moved a little bit further away from the city and got a little rental house with with a one acre yard or a couple acre yard. Uh, whereas we've got other people like a Canadian guy, they've moved way out in the middle of Newfoundland and uh, on, on you know really private acreage out in the middle of nowhere. And, and everything in between that, people that have done it with little mini houses in the city, but they've, they've turned them into true urban homesteads. Um, and, and every way that people have done this to basically unplug from all of the stress of life, but not necessarily leave behind technology. I'm still a podcaster. I still use the internet. I got high speed access at the office. I like to do geocaching. I've got a GPS. I like technology, but I don't like what the world has turned into. And I thought, you know what we've really done? And I've kind of joked about it over the years, but what we've really done is we've bugged out. And we bugged out not because of an impending disaster, but because we actually looked around us and we saw that everything already was a disaster. People often ask me, Jack, when do you think the shit's going to hit the fan? And I'm going to tell you, I'm not even talking about job losses and unemployment and cancer and all that other stuff. I think the shit has hit the fan a long time ago. I think that if we look at the human condition today for the vast majority of Americans, the millions upon millions living in densely populated areas that work jobs that they hate, that can barely survive, or they live on welfare or whatever it is, well, shit has hit the fan. It's, it's already happened. And, and all you have to do is look in the faces of the people around you, and they have the same face that you often see in the middle of a disaster. Stressed, anxiety, premature aging. You know, and you can put all the face cream you want on, ladies, but what's really happening underneath is visible. And I think that modern society has done that to so many of us, and we decided enough. And it took us about two and a half years from the point where, you know, we always kind of had the dream and it was always a someday thing. But when I started doing the show, at the same time I started doing the show, I said, you know what, we're serious about this. It's going to happen. We're going to make this work. And one of the very, I think, risky things that I did is I went on the air within a couple months of starting the show when there was like 50 people listening. And I said, we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. And uh, that made it concrete. That made it real. And I want to talk to you about why. Um, I want to talk to you both about the long-term dangers that are out there that I really see coming that I think we need to solidify ourselves against. And I want to talk to you about the uh, the immediate concerns that I have for anybody even just living the lifestyle anymore. But let's talk about some things that are going on long-term. I want to do a whole show, maybe this week, if I get time to do the research being up here and all in, in this flux again, uh, on the economy. Uh, there's some real things going on with the economy. Yesterday, I played a little soundbite for you. That was basically, if we stop spending every single penny that we have to spend right now, we just been doing, the government did nothing. No Medicare, no Medicaid, no Social Security, no nothing. And then paid $100 million a day against the debt. It would take over 300 years to pay off the debt. You know what that means? I mean, I don't give you statistics like that to stagger your imagination or, or shock you into reality. I, I tell you that for one real reason only. The, 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 the meaning of that is we will never pay off the debt. 
And if you've listened to some of my shows on the economy, you'll understand that it, we, we couldn't even do it that way if we wanted to. Because our money is debt. But even if we had real money, if we have to pay $100 million a day and spend nothing to get out of debt for 300 years, that means we're not going to pay the debt off. Which means, sooner or later, the government will default. And when they default, they'll probably first default to the little old ladies that are holding bonds and the, 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 you know, the taxpayers that are holding bonds. And then they'll default to the foreign entities. And the last people they'll default to is the Federal Reserve, who will fix the system by changing it. And the reality is the only way out of this mess would be to default first to the Federal Reserve and then pay everybody else. And, and that actually would work, but since the Fed's in charge, unless we completely change everything in this country in the next 10 years, it ain't going to happen. And that means that a U.S. default on our debt is coming. And seemingly agreeing with me, Standard & Poor came out yesterday and downgraded the outlook of the American economy and the American credit rating to negative. Now, a lot of this, a lot is being made of this beyond what it is so far because right now it's just kind of like a forward-looking statement. They didn't actually reduce because what everybody's saying is, oh, they downgraded our credit rating. Well, they didn't. They didn't down. With the American bond still has a triple A credit rating. That's the highest you can get. But what S and P basically said is that we're looking forward and we see a day where that's no longer the case. Of course, the Obama administration is shitting their pants over this because it's a basic statement that Obama and his policies are a disaster. That's what that is. That's what that statement is. And you can be partisan one way or the other, and it doesn't really matter. It's nothing to do with politics. When S&P comes out and states that, that's what they're doing. So the Obama administration and Geithner come out and say this is a politically motivated statement. Now, S&P is not a political organization any more than any other economic organization. And uh, they don't generally do things to help one politician over another with a rating. All right, that's just nonsensical. Uh, of course it's a negative rating. If you look at something as bad as this is, and the debt was continuing to raise, and they're talking about raising the debt ceiling again, which, by the way, is going to happen, and you see this going on from an entity, and they make no intention to cut spending at all, and they put a paltry, you know, less than 1% cut on the board, and they can't even agree to that, and they do half of that, and then half of the half of a percent isn't even real. It's already money that was allocated and not spent. It's accounting tricks. So effectively, they, they cut about one-twelfth of 1% 1 of the general budget, not the total budget, just the general budget, then you would downgrade it to a negative outlook as well, wouldn't you? There's nothing political about that. It's just a statement of fact. Why do I bring that up today? Because it's one of my real concerns. I believe that the, the majority of Americans today that have made it through the recession so far and think they're safe, that are living in homes they can barely afford, are about to run into the second dip in this recession, the double dip. Now, I got a question today in an email saying, how close do you think we are to a second stock market crash? You predicted the first one very, very accurately. Will you tell us when you think the second one's coming? And here's something I'm going to be honest about with you guys. I'm not an oracle. Um, the last one was easy to see. You had to have your head in the ground to not see it coming. This one is going to be far more complex and far harder to determine and unless something really rears its head that, that's a long telegraph blow, it could come like a thief in the night. 
this next crash. I don't know when it's coming. I don't think we're there yet. This is what I think happens in the short term. Democrats and Republicans come to agreement on some kind of a spending control uh, in order to raise the debt ceiling because they're going to raise the debt ceiling. And if you don't think that we should raise the debt ceiling, or if you listen to anybody that says we shouldn't raise, raise the debt ceiling, and you believe what they're saying, it's because you don't understand our money. Okay, Every time a dollar is issued, it is a new certificate of debt requiring interest to pay it back, which means the debt ceiling must go up consistently over time. It has to. The only way for it not to go up is to not just pay down debt, but to contract the currency. In other words, to incinerate dollars. That's it. And it, it, under the current system, it can not happen. It can't happen. If the Congress holds their ground, the President will sign an executive order because the Fed will tell him he has no choice and they will do it anyway. It might be political suicide, but it is going to happen and there will never be a time where we stop raising the debt ceiling until the system changes. So, under a lot of political theater, bullshit, and grandstanding, a compromise, quote-unquote, will be reached. When it's done, everybody will claim victory. The Democrats will claim victory. The Republicans will claim victory because we're going right into 2012, which is, guess what? Ding, 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 you're right in election year. And everybody's going to want to make it look good. And people like S&P will go, the debt ceiling's been raised and they've made real spending cuts. We're removing the negative outlook. The stock market will take off. And by take off, I mean climb three or 400 points like it lost three or 400 points when they said the other thing. And uh, we will look pretty good going into 2012. Uh, a lot of the stimulus money still hasn't been spent. It's still trickling into the economy. That will have some level of stimulus and in 2012, America is going to have to make a choice. Tighten our belts, bring somebody in that will actually trim spending seriously, including looking at sacred cows like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Those have to be cut in some way. Now, there's a lot of ways to do this. One way is to start taking younger people and phasing them out of the Social Security system, which, of course, the government doesn't want to do because Social Security is their biggest source of money if you realize that or not, but you pay a hell of a lot more in Social Security than you do in income taxes. You know, Unless you're a, multi, a multi-millionaire, that's the case. And then we either get a government that's serious about cutting things, which don't hold your breath for it to happen, but if we do, this is what I want you to understand, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt everywhere. It is going to slow down the economy temporarily, probably for a year or two. More people will be laid off than before. The stock market will drop. Everything will get bad. But everything will get bad and then get better. Because as we retool and we rehone and we pull the restrictions off, we can get it up and running again. How long that run will last, I don't know. It's doomed to failure sooner or later. But maybe there's one more run left in it if we do it that way. And maybe that gives us time to look at everything. And maybe we get some people with some brains in there and we get rid of the Federal Reserve. And we put the money back into the hands of the people and we get debt off of the currency. That's one path. I'm not hopeful for it. The other path is the people that say they'll do it win, or the people that are saying they're not going to do it win, and either way they don't do it, we continue on our current course, and within a year of the next election, this country is in the biggest depression ever. Those are my two outlooks. One is gray and one is black. That's the reason to get out now.
That, that's To me, that's a huge reason to get out now. The worst thing that happens, I'm wrong and you live a better life anyway. And I really feel that that's where we're headed. When I look at the numbers, and I just look at the numbers and just look at the math, it's a mathematical impossibility to significantly reduce the deficit. And as long as the deficit doesn't get reduced, then the debt continues to climb. A mathematical impossibility to get rid of the debt anytime soon. The only way to do it is to change the system, and the people in control don't want the system changed. And the politicians, even the ones that are in there trying to fix things, don't really want to change it in a way that they can be pointed at as causing the problem. So no one's willing to do what's necessary. And even the people that you know talk about running, like Donald Trump's talking about running for, for uh, president right now. And I just heard him on TV today saying, no, I would not raise debt ceiling. He's a dumbass. Okay, he's a freaking dumbass. If you're going to say that right now, you don't understand the currency. Now, if you could come and say there, I wouldn't raise the debt ceiling, what I would do is go in there and eliminate the Federal Reserve, default our debt to the Fed, bring in a new currency, strengthen it, use it to pay off our foreign debtors and our, intern our domestic debtors, and tell the Fed to go pound sand. They had a hundred and some odd year monopoly, and they're done. Now, that I could believe. But if you think you're not going to raise a debt ceiling without changing the system, you're just delusional. And uh, if you want to understand that better, there's a great YouTube video that I put out explaining this in full. I'll put a link in today's show notes so you can take a look at it. But, you know, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than the, the trouble I see for the economy. It's so much bigger than the fact that we could have a massive pandemic or a rash of national disasters. It's so much bigger than the fact that the World Bank says we're on the cusp of a food disaster. And I think that we as Americans need to start producing our own food again. And when I say that, I don't just mean more farms and more farmers. I mean more urban farms and more urban farmers, more homesteaders and more homestead farms, more, more small growers, uh, and more people growing for their own personal use and, and basically not really selling anything other than some barter with some other neighbors that are growing some other things or maybe one cash crop that they sell at a farmer's market or something, but most of what they grow for personal use. I think if we don't get to a point where a fairly significant portion of Americans can feed themselves in a very, very short time, we're in for some real trouble. I believe that as well. And I don't mean to be all doom and gloom. I should be happy as hell because I'm up here finally and I'm doing what I want to do. But i got to be honest with you, and these are the things that I see coming. And I think the food crisis is real. And I think that Americans have no idea how real it is yet. And I think that we're also starting to see some other things being maneuvered by some other nations to 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 take the dollar and go. Now that it's weak, let's 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 give it a death nail. Saudi Arabia. Now I don't know about you, but I'm paying about four dollars a gallon for gas right now. Saudi Arabia just came out and said we're we're going to cut production, okay, because there's too much oil out there. There there is no shortage and everything's the way it should be, and they're going to cut production. And they're one of the big producers where if they pull back, they can kind of put a lid on the total global production. And, of course, the Soviets, they're, they're, they're trying to get in Soviets. I shouldn't use that word. But the Russians, they're trying to get the, the, the Russians. They're getting in bed with the Russians. They're running to the Russians for a loan right now. Of course, the Russians are another great big producer of oil. 
So those two folks together, you know, they, they've got a lot of sway. And then, you know, there's these other guys. There's these Chinese guys and there's these Indian guys and these Brazilian guys with this BRIC currency alliance that are kind of lining up and, and, and taking a look at maybe creating a new global currency or a new global backing made up of a basket of their currencies. And I mean, there are just so many things going on out there right now that I don't think people understand how they're tied together. The currency issue, the energy issue, those two affect one thing more than anything else, food. Because if it costs more to produce the food, it costs more to ship the food, it costs more to sell the food. And if we devalue the money, the food costs more on top of that. And we're heading for a place within the next year or two where you won't believe the prices at the grocery store. You absolutely will not believe them. I'm going to leave it at that. Don't ask me for percentages. What I'm going to tell you is in 2012, 2013, when you go to the grocery store and you look at the price of food, you're going to, you're just going to stare at the shelves and go, I don't believe this. I'm not saying you won't, you're going to starve. I'm not going to say the majority of Americans are going to starve, but I'm going to tell you that that next video game or that next DVD download or whatever, you're going to have to make a decision between that and your food. So, that's kind of bleak, and it's a good reason to bug out early while you can, you know, if you can, and if you can find a path to it. And I do think there's some time left in this. I do think there's some still some further run in the stock market, but if tomorrow morning some information came out and the stock market plummeted by 2,500 points and stayed down there and continued to dwindle from there, I would not be surprised. I would say I was wrong about calling the top at 12.5, and I think we're going to break at least 12.5, and I still say that. But I wouldn't be surprised. I would just say I was wrong. I thought we would be there now. We got so close. But even without all of this, just think about it this way. What if I'm wrong about it all? What if all that happens is a normal inflation and your food only goes up by, you know, four to six to ten percent a year? Uh, what if your money only continues to be devalued by four to six to ten percent a year? What if wages only continue to decline by what they've been declining by? What if the populations of the cities just become more and more of what they already are? What if everything stays the way it is and stays on its current course at its current speed? I just want you to think about how much things have changed in the last fifteen years. Take the good stuff out. Just look at the bad for a moment and ask yourself. If what the last 15 years brought to the, to, to, to the, to the modern American lifestyle can be expected to be exactly the same 15 more years of it. 15 more years of your liberty being eroded. 15 more years of your money being devalued. 15 more years of being beaten down by life. 15 more years of exactly what we've been getting. How happy are you going to be in 15 more years? Or 10 more years? Or 5 more years? How, how, how dark is the situation getting for those that don't change their lives, that don't decide, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm going to live debt-free. I'm going to get the hell out of a place I don't want to be. If you want to be where you are, I'm not telling you to leave. But if you don't want to be where you are, I'm telling you to get your ass a plan to get out. Yesterday, through that dark, dreary day, I drove five and a half hours with Max the dog, and we finally got up here, and I had all the stuff to unload in the truck, and it was humid out. I got out of the truck and I unloaded the snake cages, which are big and heavy, and all the other stuff. And had to do it alone because the wife's only not coming up till another day. She's going to come up here and join me the uh, next day and uh, bring the car. We're going to leave the car this time. 
Yeah, one of the vehicles up here. So the personal mobile studio uh, is moving to uh, Hot Springs tomorrow. And um, I was stressed from the drive. That's why I got the idea for the show, because it made me reconnect with that stress. And I said, you know what? Before I go to the office to drop off the desk and everything, doesn't look like it's going to rain. We're going we're gonna to get through today without having to worry about that. Took the leash, put Max on the leash, and we walked about two miles up the mountain and back. And the stress was gone. The stress was gone. And I got back to the house, and I was sweaty from the humidity and changed my shirt and figured I'd take a shower when I got back from the office because I still needed to run there and, and, and turn the AC on and cooled off a little bit and had a beer. Looked out my back window at the woods and watched the birds fly around. And I went back to who I really am. It, it, it took one walk and a beer. And I think that's what's waiting for anybody that will create whatever it is that they want for themselves. I, I try to be really careful. I do think, I absolutely do think that most people, if you'd, if you'd live the way that we're trying to live now, you'd be happier. I, I do. But I know some people wouldn't. And I know there are some people that want different things in their life. I know that there are some people that if they could get themselves a little flat in an urban setting and pay that off, and have a rooftop garden and bicycle everywhere that they have to go, I know that there's people that would be happy with that. I, I have fears for your long-term safety, but if that's what you want, you have every right to build your dream the way you want it. So I, I try to be careful with telling you how I think you should make the changes as far as what they should be. But I think you need to make them. I think one of the things that's going to happen in the coming years is you're going to see a foreign takeover of the United States like you've never seen before. And it's going to happen through our real estate. The dollar will be weakened beyond belief, and there will be defaults in mortgages that will make what just happened look like just a cakewalk. It really will. Um, it will be unbelievable, the devastation that will occur in America. And wealthy foreign governments, especially governments that change over their currency, and strengthen it against the now weakened dollar. And as easy it is for a foreigner to buy land in this country, you're going to see Chinese investors. You're going to see, um, mostly you're going to see Asian Indian investors. And it's nothing against those people. Um, they're just the rising tide in the economic powers of the world. And you'll see some South American investors as well. There's a lot of South American countries, I don't even know if you know this, you can't get a mortgage. You can't get a mortgage. You want to buy a house, you save money, and you pay for the house. Somehow they survive. Somehow it keeps a lid on their housing costs. You know? Well, I want you to think about a society that's lived without that debt over them. The successful members of that society that have lots of money, eyeballing beautiful land in places like Colorado, Montana, California, when this country is in the biggest recession ever. That money is going to come into this country, and we're going to lose a lot of our sovereignty through that alone. I'm not trying to be an isolationist or an alarmist here, but that's one of the things that I see happening. And I see the government of the time, whenever the time occurs, welcoming it as a savior thing. I, want you, I mean, just think about this. Think about how cheap it was at one time. It's, it's still cheap, but not what it used to be. Back in the 50s, if you wanted to go live in Mexico, 
Right? That was the thing, man. You, if you got some kind of any kind of government money, a lot of Vietnam veterans that were on disability did this um, back in the 60s and 70s. If you had some source of money coming in and you had maybe a couple thousand dollars a month, you go to Mexico and live like a king. Why? Was it because everything was cheap in Mexico? Or was it because of the relative currency strength of the dollar in Mexico? It's the second one. The United States has always been a place where we've had very few nations with truly stronger currencies than us. You have, you know, Europe sitting with about a 1.2 to 1.5 advantage and the, the, the great British pound with about a one and a half to two to one ratio advantage. And those are the only two places with real strength against our currency. Everything else has been weaker. The Canadian dollar has always been weak against the U.S. dollar. That turned around and we've actually had times where the Canadian dollar is stronger than the U.S. dollar. Imagine what happens when the dollar's weakness becomes sufficient that 20 or 30 nations have significant currency advantages and we're a nation where anybody can buy and own land. What do you see for the future of this nation if we don't fix these problems? See, I'm not telling you these problems can't be fixed. I'm telling you I don't see anybody right now who plans to fix them. So that leaves you and me. We get to fix it. And we can, we can do it a couple ways. We can believe that the answer is in the ballot box and we can keep arguing and fighting in the class warfare little, 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 you know, compartments they've put us in. The black man against the white man, the white man and the black man against the Hispanic, the poor against the rich, the poor against the middle class, the middle class against the poor, the lower middle class against the upper middle class. Right? I mean, we can, we just we, men against women, women against men. We can just you know the urbanite against the suburbanite. I mean, we just we just let them keep cutting that pie up a million different ways from Sunday. So we all fight each other, and then the big one we can let them keep cutting us up between Democrat and Republican. And you can look at a Republican Congress who came in under the biggest landslide ever, the biggest shift in power ever, the, the United States Congress this time around. And you can look at not just the fact that they capitulated and, and, and went from 60 billion to 30 billion roughly in cuts. But then they only started with a 60 billion dollar cut when they were sent there with a mandate to cut. And you can start to realize something. Most of the money that the government spends, the government's gonna spend anyway. And most of the things that we want fixed, the government's not gonna fix. Until we fix the people. So when I talk about opting out, getting out of the systems and creating independence. I'm not talking about drying up and going away. I'm not talking about vanishing like a hermit into the Bitterroot Mountains, unless that's where you want to be. I want you to have what you want. So if, if that's what you want, you want to live in a lean-to on the side of a cliff in the Bitterroots, start heading there now. And I, I'm not saying that with any kind of negative connotation. I'm serious. If that's what you want, that's pretty dadgone easy. There's no reason you can't do it. Head your ass there. Make sure you bring some warm clothes <laughs> and some survival skills. But uh, if we can start showing that these things are possible, if we want the government to cut debt and we want the government to cut spending, you know what has to happen first? The people need to cut our debt and the people need to quit spending so much. How can we look to our government and say, you won't balance your budget the way we balance our budget and the average American sitting with over $25,000 worth of credit card debt alone? How can we tell our government to get out of the business of borrowing money when we have the average college student today 
spending seven to eight years to get a four-year degree and coming out of school with debt ranging between twenty-five and one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and carrying that debt around so long, you might as well name it and call it a pet. How can we tell our government you need to get out of the business of borrowing money and, and, and that you cannot pay back on our behalf when we're running around most of us buying houses that are you know four hundred five hundred thousand dollar purchases end up with incomes in the household between seventy and one hundred twenty five thousand dollars if your household income is one hundred twenty five thousand dollars total and you bought a four hundred thousand dollar house you are wrong you cannot afford it. I'm sorry, and don't tell me there's no houses less than four hundred thousand dollars because I guarantee you I'll find one, and it won't be in a crackhead alley. All right, I've been told that lying nonsense bullshit my whole life. I was told when we went to Pennsylvania, oh, you want an acre, you want at least three bedrooms, you want a nice place, you don't want to live in kind of a rundown area. Well, you better look at at least three hundred thousand and up. And we bought a house for $137,000. It was everything that we ever wanted. It was so amazing that my, I was in Pittsburgh Airport traveling at the time. My wife had not even been inside the house yet. She was standing in the yard looking at the view, and she called me on the phone while I was walking around, ass clowns on one of those moving sidewalks, and started screaming, I found our house! I found our house! So don't tell me it can't be done, because I don't believe you, because I know better. And that was in the Northeast. So don't tell me it's just the South. Right, and I can I can guarantee you in the West Coast too. Maybe not on the beach, maybe not in L.A. But why the hell would I want to be there in the first place? And even there, now that this a lot of this housing drop so far has been more of a correction than a drop because uh, people were paying too much. But my my real point here: how can we turn to our government and say you guys have to stop this if if we're doing it? Do you, do you understand that right now? The problem in America is not that the government is ignoring the people. It's that the government is emulating the people. You hear so many politicians say, a normal American has to balance their budget. They can't live like this on debt. And then, you know, bullshit, because the average American is living on debt. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe the system was created and sent here, set up here as a prison for us. But we're the ones that walk through those prison gates and let the door slam behind us. And we're the ones that when we get into $25,000 worth of debt prison and we walk through that, we sign that contract to buy that fancy car, we hear, and we sit down and we look at that car note and we realize, we bought it today, I'm not going to pay it off to 2016. And when I pay it off, it's going to be flipping worthless. You know, it's gonna. I paid twenty five grand for it. It's gonna be worth about two thousand dollars, and I could have went out and bought a two thousand dollar car and saved that money for those years. And if I wanted a new car, then bought it for cash. We're the ones that do that, and we're the ones that even after we've done that, we've said, "Man, that was dumb." We turn around and we go out and we buy a house we can't afford, and and even some of us after we've done that, decide it's time to go back to school and we go out and take out twenty five thousand dollars in student loans to get a master's degree in a career that we're not even successful in so far. We're the ones that do these things. We say that we should reduce, you know, our dependence on foreign oil, but we don't reduce our personal dependence on our personal oil or energy usage. We say that we should invest in foreign or, or uh, in alternative energy sources like solar and wind, but we don't make those investments for our own household. We say that the government should go back to something that makes more sense, like a gold and silver standard for our currency, but then we don't turn around and put our money into gold or silver, even 10% of it. You know how happy I would be if the government would just go back to a 10% reserve standard? 
that for every U.S. dollar issued, we had to have at least 10% of it in gold or 20% of it in gold. And a lot of Americans would go, well, we should do that, we should do that. Well, how much of your wealth do you have in gold and silver? None. We can't say that the government has to stop playing risky risky games with derivatives and allowing this stuff when we're still all playing risky games with our own retirement because we have it on autopilot. Do you understand that you can look at it either way, but it's the same problem? Either the people are a reflection of the government or the government is a reflection of the people. But I'm going to tell you something that the government doesn't want you to know. They really don't want you to know this. It's very easy to change people. It's very difficult to change governmental systems. You can wake a person up with just the right sequence of words at the right point in their life and change that person's attitude forever. And then they'll go do all the things they need to empower themselves. You can get into government and say a million wonderful things and 99.9% of them are never going to happen no matter what. If we're going to change the government, we have to change the people. And I think that requires a certain percentage of us, and maybe not all of us, maybe not even, maybe not even all of us that are like-minded, but some percentage of us need to get out, 100% out of debt, out of the main cities. We need to produce our own food, 50% or more. We need to set up aquaponic systems. We need to set up solar. We need to set up wind. And we need to be public about what we're doing. This hiding-in-the-mountain survival retreat bullshit apocalyptic nonsense that's out there in the industry is just that it's bullshit. 99% of you can never do that. You'd have to be independently wealthy to live in a place like they talk about, set up like they talk about, and somewhere where there is no one else and have no one know where you are. By your very nature, you're cut off that way. And unless you're a famous blogger or a famous author or something like that or a famous composer living on royalties or your daddy lives you a couple million dollars, it ain't going to happen. But millions of us can go find a more affordable, happier way to live and live a fairly normal-looking lifestyle with a lot more freedom and a lot more power. I want you to think about your life if you make this plan and work on it for 10 years. I want you to think about your electric bill 10 years from now instead of being double, being half. Right? You produce 50-60% to 60 of your own power and you increase your own efficiencies. So even though the cost of power goes up, you're paying half. I want you to think about no mortgage. None. 10 years, it can be done. No mortgage. You have no mortgage. I want you to think about your, your, your grocery bill being 60% of what it is today because you're producing so much for yourself and you're bartering. I want you to think about yourself working as many hours a week as you choose or even, say, 30. A, a relatively full schedule. But doing something you actually enjoy. Maybe you wouldn't do for free, but you don't hate. And I want you to think about the impact of 10,000 people that make that happen in the next 10 years. And I believe that's very doable. And I want you to think about what the rest of America would think. You can't call these people wealthy. You can't tax them as wealthy. You can't. can't be done. Because the income these people are going to have is $40,000, $50,000 a year maximum. Many of them will be living on fifteen dollars to $25,000. They're outside of the income tax at that point. can't even tax them. 
If you do, you got to tax all the other people making twenty five thousand. That means you got to start talking all taxing all the poor people on Social Security. That you're just getting like minimum Social Security payments. You got to start taxing welfare to go down to that level. Maybe they should. Seems kind of pointless. Just cut it. But you, you get my point. So you can't point at them and say we need to go take what they have. Good luck getting it because people like that aren't real quick to give it up. You can tax their land, but you can only do so much with that. But what message would it send to America if it wasn't amazing anymore that one family did it? If everybody knew somebody that did it, do you think we can take this country back to its roots? And do you think it's the salvation of our country? I do. I really do. And I don't think it's me or my show or anything like that. I just think it's in us. I think the reason that so many people listen to this show every day isn't because I'm so smart. It's because I say what we all really, really already know. You know, one of our great founders, Thomas Jefferson, envisioned a nation of farmers. And I've often heard his critics say, well, then we wouldn't have a space program, and we wouldn't have technology, and we wouldn't have roads, and we would have never become the, 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 the world leader in almost every measurable way, at least at one time, and America wouldn't be known worldwide, and, and bullshit. Because whether you realize it or not, Jefferson's vision became a reality. This nation was a nation of farmers all the way up until the New Deal and the Great Depression. Being a nation of farmers didn't mean that there weren't mill workers and, you know, industrial types and business people and attorneys and Jefferson was an attorney. Being a nation of farmers meant that the backbone of the nation was the farmer. And we were. Being a nation of farmers meant that everybody, even if they had a job as important as the President of the United States, had a garden in their backyard. That's what a nation of farmers was all about. And Jefferson's critics just don't understand that. And if you read some of his writings, I think you'll come to understand it. It's what planted a seed in, you know, even the guy's been dead 200 years, he's still planting. Because he planted something in me. The more I learned about that one particular founding father, and I don't pretend that the guy is infallible and a god. You know, he was a slave owner. And he had an opportunity to set his slaves free, and he didn't. You can justify that any way you want, but it didn't happen. So there's flaws there. But it doesn't mean the vision was wrong. And I think that we can get to a point where the computer programmer is a farmer, and the marketing director is a farmer. You see what I'm saying? We need to produce again. And I think to, to, to try to think that we're going to go to a point where America is going to become a producer of coffee cups and, and trinkets and TV sets again, uh, it's just not realistic. It's, it's not even the best use of our resources. We don't have a billion and a half or almost two billion people with nothing better to do than sit around on an assembly line. But we have the most fertile land in the world. And a proven track record of being able to produce enough to feed the world. And that means we have the ability to feed ourselves. And all across this nation, from the suburban backyard to the so the homestead, bug out location, whatever you want to call it, there's opportunities if we'll just seize them. 
And it's this generation that's going to make a decision, folks. Are we going to continue 100% on the path to destruction? Or are we individually going to stand up and say, I can't stop the train, but I can get off. And I can set up an exit point for others. And if enough people get off the train, the train may still run off the cliff in the end, but every single person that's not riding it, we're going to save. And since I have to be alive to help others, I'm going to save myself first. This is why you now hear the, the survival podcast coming to you from Hot Springs, Arkansas. So that I could do more. That I could be a better example. That I could practice what I preach. I tell you all the time I think you should get out. If it was five years from now and I was still going, coming to you from Arlington, Texas, in the middle of Dallas-Fort Worth, how much would you believe my passion, even if it sounded real? But when I sit here today, on top of my ridge line, and you know, I just made a joke to the guys helping me with the deck today. Two cars went down the road. It's rush hour, and it really was. That was it. Ain't been another one. I got the window open. I'm looking out. I ain't seen another one go by since. You got to know I believe what I'm saying, and I want you to understand because some of you guys don't. We want you weren't around in the beginning. You don't know my background, and I, I don't like to talk too much about myself, but I want you to understand something. When I started this show in my car, I owned the company I worked for, and I paid myself a salary in excess of $100,000 a year. This show doesn't make anywhere near that. Uh, it certainly didn't get anywhere near that when I first took the plunge and cut my own salary to zero and left a year ago. The company still exists. It's more successful than it was when I left it. My, my, my senior partner still owns the controlling interest in it. Uh, we put some of the interest into some other employees, and I hold a little tiny piece uh, of non-voting shares, and I don't get a dividend, and only if we ever sell the company will I ever see any money out of it. Um, I also worked with that particular partner with two other companies that I was offered an ownership stake in. Had I just stayed where I was, um, I could have raised my own salary to probably $200,000 a year by now. Uh, even after I left and we restructured uh, Franklin Spirico Media and um, uh, my, my partner had these other two companies that I had helped him with, I was recently offered by him if I would just come back and take over one of the companies as president, $150,000 a year. I'm not saying that to brag. I want to make a point. It's more important to me to live in a way that's commensurate with what I feel and what I say, and what I know for myself, than to make money. And those are real numbers, and there's no embellishment, and there's no exaggeration. And you'd say, well, why not just go do it for three or four more years, and save up a ton of money, and buy a really big retreat like everybody talks about? Well, for a couple reasons. One, that's three or four more years of my heart being destroyed. Uh, it's three or four more years of me shaking the hands of people and buying them dinner that I don't even want to talk to. It's three or four more years of living a life I don't want. And it's three or four more years of me talking to you when I get the chance instead of every day. And it's three or four more years of me telling you to do one thing and doing another. 
I've done what I've done, not for financial gain. And anybody that says that is just a moron. I'm sorry, you are. My business is successful. That's what I do. I build successful businesses. I'm not going to apologize for that. I believe that anybody can build a successful business. I really do. In America still today, I think there's so much opportunity out there. But it's nowhere near as successful or as large as it could, as, as what I had was, that I walked away from. So why would I do it? Because I wanted to live that better life if times got tougher, even if they didn't. And if I kept living a life inconsistent with who I was, I saw times getting really, really tough. Even if the economy had worked out. And the businesses that Neil's built are pretty damn recession-proof. They really are. Times get bad, they actually grow. He's a brilliant man. Grateful for his friendship and grateful for what I learned about being an entrepreneur from him. But what I really want is my own freedom. And I want to tell you a story that recently happened. Um, Neil's looking at bringing a gentleman in from the UK to run one of these companies. He wanted my opinion on him because he knows I'll give him my exact opinion, but I won't pull any punches. So he set up a meeting for me and, and him and, and, and Neil himself and one other guy and to go out and just drink some beers and hang out and just get to know each other personally and then ask me later what I thought. And Neil gave me one of the greatest compliments I've ever received from a business contemporary. He, he talked about how he had kind of pushed me into a chief operational officer position in one of the other companies and, and some other things and basically had kind of blown me up to where I just didn't want to be a part of it anymore and I went off to do my own thing, which was true. And then he said, you know, and I even offered him to come back. And I, I mean, if I could let him run any of these companies, he'd do a great job. Won't do it. But the reality is out of the four of us sitting here is the only one of us that's truly successful because he's actually living his dream and doing what he loves. And I think it was hard for him to say because he was kind of resentful that I walked when I did. I tried to do it with class and above board and all, and I feel like I did. But uh, I think it was like he wanted me to stay there and continue working with him. Him saying that meant a lot to me. And it was some validation as well that this really is the right thing for me. But enough about me. I want to know what the right thing for you is. What's the right thing for you and your family? And what are you willing to do to make it happen? Whatever it is... Start working on it today. Because I'm going to tell you flat out, you can get there and you can get there so much faster than you think you can. It's all about decisions and choices and vision. And those of you that are in marriages that think your visions are so vastly different, please sit down and start talking about where they overlap. And focus for the next couple weeks on just where they overlap. And you'll be shocked. If the two of you came together in the sacrament of marriage. There's more in common than there is apart. And honestly, it's usually that both sides tend to, whenever they hear something they don't want, gravitate to the extreme of what they want. I'm saying meet in the middle. You do that and develop a common vision, and two people can get there much faster than one. And I think with that, I'm going to wrap up today. I want to, again, thank every single person out there that's ever listened to this show or shared it with anybody else. You're the reason I'm able to be the example that I am now. You really are. It's not me. It's you. And those of you that, that think, well, well, how can I do that? You can. Whatever it is. If you want to build something of your own to support a move like this, start building it now. The one piece of advice for I, ha I have for you, though, is do not emulate me. Do not try to be another Jack Spirico because there can only be one Jack Spirico. 
Be whoever you are. And whatever you're going to build your business, your life around, build it around what you're passionate about. The thing that you would do every day if you didn't need money. What is that? Do that. And when somebody tells you you can't do it, just knock them the hell down and get them, get them out of the way. You don't have time for their nonsense or their shit. If I listened to everybody that told me what I couldn't do, I'd probably be dead by now. I sure wouldn't be here and I sure wouldn't be talking to you today. You can have life that you want. That you want. It's just up to you to build it. And I'm going to tell you, now might be the time to bug out. If you wait till catastrophe to bug out, you're going to bug out in a crowd. If you bug out prior to a catastrophe, you bug out under your own terms, in your own way, in a way that makes the most sense for you. You set up and solidify your life while there's no one else in your way. It's a much better way to do things. And with that, for the first time today, wrapping up from Hot Springs, Arkansas. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Nobody up there cares, they're leaving.